The pressures our teeth endure when we bite and chew are measured using the same scale that geologists use to measure the pressures under the Earth's crust. I was curious about how is it even remotely possible that this material can withstand such incredible pressures without breaking. And that's what prompted the beginning of the study. Of course, it's not the first time researchers have studied the hard enamel that covers our teeth, but with a new imaging method she developed, Pupa Gilbert at the University of Wisconsin-Madison saw a structure in human enamel that no one had seen before. On this episode of the American Scientist podcast, an interview with Gilbert and her colleague, Marcus Bueller of the Massachusetts Institute of Technology, who worked with Gilbert to analyze, using computer simulations, the previously hidden structure. I'm Robert Frederick. Our teeth, so long as we take care of them, will last a lifetime. But if you grow crystals of appetite, the minerals that our teeth are made of, in the lab, Pupa Gilbert says those crystals will grow like needles, with the crystals always oriented the same way along their long axes. Compared to human enamel, though, these lab-grown crystals will crack and break a lot easier. Now scientists have discovered the reason why these lab-grown crystals are so much weaker compared to human enamel crystals. Our teeth's enamel has slight misorientations between these crystals at the nanoscale. It took a new imaging method to see them. Pupa Gilbert of the University of Wisconsin-Madison developed that imaging method, and what she saw, those slight misorientations, prompted her to contact Marcus Bueller at Massachusetts Institute of Technology. Bueller programmed simulations to test hypotheses about how those slight misorientations make human enamel so tough. I spoke with Gilbert and Bueller by Skype. Here's an edited excerpt of our interview, which I started by asking them to introduce themselves. My name is Pupa Gilbert, and I'm a professor of physics, and I have a burning passion for all things natural, especially biological. My name is Marcus Bueller. I'm a professor here at MIT. My work deals with molecular or atomistic simulations of various materials phenomena, especially failure and fracturing. How did you meet your, uh, your co-corresponding author, Pupa Gilbert? I met him at conferences and I was immediately struck by his incredible ability to understand problems and a variety of different scales. Marcus Bueller? Well, we share a fascination, both of us, with biological structures, especially mineralized structures. Uh, we look, in my lab, we're very interested in, in proteins and how proteins, proteins are usually softer materials and in materials like bone and teeth, these proteins are what's called mineralized, so they're being reinforced by some other elements which are not naturally part of the protein, but the proteins serve as a scaffolding material for those. And yeah, we met at actually a couple of conferences in the, I think in the physics community in the beginning, and it was a very interesting uh, complementary set of skills. Pupa is a world-leading experimentalist who has tremendous insights into mineralized structures, uh, a lot of imaging, a lot of analyses, real images. We come from the theory, the modeling side, so we, we were asking questions like, what if we had a geometry, which might have been measured by Dr. Gilbert, how would that structure actually behave mechanically? And one thing you can do in a simulation, that it's very hard to do an experiment, you can easily change the geometry. So what we've done also in this paper, we 
basically took a natural structure of teeth and we've modified it to test hypotheses. In a computer simulation, we can assume that the orientation of the minerals in that material are slightly different. Uh, we can construct systems that don't exist in nature, but that help us understand whether the hypothesis for what we're thinking is going on actually is happening in that way or another. And, and that's how we were drilling down into the understanding mechanistically at the nanoscale of how these, this really amazing biomineral system works and how it feels. Okay. And if you were to summarize this research paper and had just a chance to do so in an elevator conversation, what would you say? I would say that we discovered that human tooth enamel is incredibly resistant to fracture, specifically because the crystals are slightly misoriented at the nanoscale. So the, all the crystals run parallel to one another, just like spaghetti in a box before they're cooked, but their crystal lattices are slightly misoriented with respect to one another. Therefore, fractures cannot go across the spaghetti box. They have to be deflected at the interface between each spaghetti noodle. Why did the structure within enamel remain hidden for so long? Was there a technological innovation that made this possible? A reinterpretation of old data or looking at a smaller scale? What was it? It's a new method that I've introduced that's called pick mapping, polarization dependent imaging contrast mapping. And because I'm originally Italian, I don't call it PIC, I, I call it PIC mapping because it reminds me of pictures and because in Italy nobody reads acronyms as separate letters but rather as words and so pick it is. So with this method we are able to look at the orientation down to the nanoscale of crystals and we can look at very many different crystals in a large array. So if you look at the pictures of human enamel with this new pair of eyes that pick mapping provides you with, you notice that the rods and the boxes of spaghetti noodles I used as a metaphor earlier are not all co-oriented in each box. All the crystals in each box are not all co-oriented. You notice that there are these gentle misorientations, which because in pick mapping, crystal orientation is displayed as color, result as slight misorientations that vary gradually. So you see a lot of color gradients within each rod, each spaghetti box. What prompted you to use this pick imaging method to look at human enamel? Was it just your inherent curiosity in all things natural? Or? Yes, it was my innate curiosity for all things natural, in specific our own body. But also I've always been wondering because human enamel is unique among all biominerals. And I've studied a variety of other biominerals. But what's special about human enamel is that it lasts for a lifetime, subjected to a tremendous mechanical solicitation all the time, and it's never remodeled. Bone, for example, is remodeled. 10% of the bone tissue is being restructured all the time. Whereas human enamel is the same ever since our permanent teeth erupt, then they stay with us for the rest of our lifetime. And that's fascinating because the mastication pressures that human enamel is subject to are actually huge on the order of one gigapascal. And that's an enormous pressure that you have to dig about 30 kilometers 
underground, which is the thickness of the earth crust that you had to go under to find the pressure that's comparable to what we apply to our food, where they were chewing on gum, on salad, or a steak. So I was curious about how is it even remotely possible that this material can withstand such incredible pressures without breaking. And that's what prompted the beginning of the study. So with this imaging method and reading from your team's paper, you write, within each rod, all crystallites should be co-oriented, but they are not. They never are in any of the regions analyzed across the entire enamel layer and across two different molars. So what what was it that was so different than expected? Why had you expected something else? Well, if you look with a scanning electron microscope at what the crystals look like, they're all elongated and perfectly parallel to one another, exactly like raw spaghetti in a box. And for this reason, people had, up until our work, thought that the crystal orientations were identical. And that was a perfectly reasonable assumption because if you grow crystals of appetite, the mineral that our teeth are made of, in the laboratory, it grows like needles with the long axis being the C-axis of the crystal. And now we find that the long axis are all perfectly parallel to one another, but they are not the C-axis of the crystal. They are actually pretty much randomly oriented with respect to the elongation direction. But they are very closely misoriented with respect to the immediately adjacent crystals. So the crystal orientation varies gradually, and that's why in peak mapping you see these color changes that are always color gradients. They're gradual changes in colors. And if I may add to this. Sure, please do. What's really intriguing about this is that, you know, following up on what Dr. Gilbert said, a lot of these biological systems are known to have a really, really intriguing structure. And you can see that basically by looking at the image with different kind of microscopes. But what really fascinated me about the findings about the structure is the things you cannot easily see using conventional microscopy. And so there's sort of an additional level of information about the orientation of crystals, which had been completely overlooked, but of course we know that in any material, if you have orientation of crystals in different directions, it creates, in metals for instance, it creates what's called the grain boundary, and then known to be very important for uh, to determine it, its mechanical properties. But to see that in a biological system, is it was really mind-blowing, sort of the additional structural level that we had not even looked at before, now opens up a whole new way of understanding these natural systems, and of course, also down the road for engineers to utilize in synthetic designs of materials that might mimic some of those really amazing properties that enamel has. Yeah, it's fantastic what the results that he obtained from molecular dynamics simulation, so his theoretical work, was the result that not only misorientation of crystals is extremely effective at deflecting cracks, but small misorientations are better than big misorientations. 
And that was completely unexpected, completely counterintuitive. And that's what motivated me to call him up and say, hey, Marcus, why don't you do some simulations? And what he did was to simulate three different misorientation angles to see if indeed at misoriented grain boundaries or interfaces between crystals, there was crack deflection. And he found something totally surprising that small misorientation angles are better at crack deflection than larger angles. And that was completely impossible to predict. It had never been observed before in any materials, let alone biomaterials. And so the grain boundaries that he referred to before are always extremely well studied at either very small misorientation angles or very large misorientation angles. The ones that we find are most frequent are kind of in between on the order of 1 to 30 degrees. So they are neither the small misorientation nor the large misorientation. They are a completely new concept, even in material science, not only in biomaterials. Right. And, and I mean, so Be before we get a little bit further in that, I want to make sure that I clearly understand where these angles are. So using your metaphor of the spaghetti box, the box of uncooked spaghetti, each crystal is a single uh, spaghetti thread. piece of pasta yeah, yeah and then so the misorientation angles are what across the cross section of all of them or with each no, no, strand no, no. being no, no. different yes exactly so if you imagine spaghetti in a box imagine having them all the same color let's say blue blue means crystal orientation is exactly the same for all of the spaghetti in the box now imagine a different box in which each spaghetti strand has a slightly different color, like the colors of the rainbow, for example, that go gradually from one color to another, red, orange, yellow, and so forth. And this would be precisely as the enamel is built, where again, color means crystal orientation. Now, if you try to have a crack go across the spaghetti box, the crack will actually be deflected at the interface of a red and orange spaghetti or between an orange and a yellow or a yellow and a green spaghetti, whereas it can go perfectly straight through if two adjacent spaghetti are red or two adjacent spaghetti are blue. That's the mechanism that Marcus discovered with his molecular dynamics simulations. Okay. We observed experimentally that there were these gradual misorientations and then he demonstrated why this is a toughening mechanism at the molecular scale. Thank you. So Marcus, back to you. The simulations, the angles that you chose. Yeah, I mean we, we basically looked at a range of different angles. We're trying to create a system that reflects the natural one and uh, one that is significantly deviating, that deviates significantly from the natural design that we find in the actual real material to uh, try to understand you know, what is the variation of the fracture mechanism as we go away from the real system, the way it exists in nature. And the question we're trying to answer with this is simply that um, you know, it could be that it doesn't make any difference, right? So it could be that the orientation doesn't make any difference in crack propagation, or it could be that actually with different angles, it gets better. Larger angles get better maybe, right? So we, we didn't know what to expect. And so by, by looking at a range of different angles, we could explore the physical behavior of the system. and. The reason why these types of simulations, these molecular dynamic simulations are so powerful is because they do not need any inputs or assumptions into how the system behaves. 
all these models have going in is information about how the atoms, the molecules interact at a very basic level of level of chemistry. So the prediction from these kind of simulations is in such a way that it's, it's based on what we call first principles. So they rely on only very basic assumptions and concepts of how these elementary particles group and interact. I noticed there was some quacking in the background. Is there an experiment going on right at, right at this moment? Yes, there is actually. There's a construction here. They're, they're doing some fractal experiments here. I wasn't sure. Pupa Gilbert, is that what is observed that uh, across the entire enamel range that this crystalline structure is the same? Or is there an inner enamel and an outer enamel? Or is it all the way through? Is it one spaghetti box, as it were? No, actually, it does change quite a bit. There is a prismatic enamel that's at the surface where all crystals are parallel to one another, but there are no rods. So no spaghetti boxes, so slightly different orientations. They're all co-oriented. And then gradually, just a hundred micron or so inside the surface towards the bulk of the tooth starts the outer enamel and then the middle enamel, the inner enamel, and then the dentin enamel junction. And the structure varies gradually, but basically this concept of the rods and the interrods, so spaghetti boxes surrounded by all other crystals, persists across the entire thickness, the three, four millimeter thickness of the enamel layer. Having said that, all spaghetti boxes, which are technically called the rods, contain all of these crystals that are misoriented within them, but they are surrounded by so-called interrod crystals. These are also elongated crystals of apatite, but they are all co-oriented with one another, and surprisingly, they are co-oriented across the entire thickness of the enamel layer. This is fascinating because we don't understand what makes them so perfectly co-oriented and how do cells know to build these crystals perfectly co-oriented with one another. It's not a geometric constraint. In fact, if you look at one tooth, you can find them all zero degrees. If you look at another tooth, you can find them all 45 degrees. If you look at another tooth, they're all 60 degrees from the surface. And there doesn't seem to be a specific reason for one specific orientation, but it's always one orientation across the entire enamel. Hmm. So uh, another mystery still to solve, it sounds like. Exactly. Isn't science fascinating? The more you discover, the more there is to discover, which is fantastic. Pupa Gilbert and Marcus Bueller, thank you very much. Thank you very much. Thank you. It was a pleasure. Pupa Gilbert of the University of Wisconsin-Madison and Marcus Bueller of the Massachusetts Institute of Technology have imaged and analyzed a previously hidden structure of human enamel that makes our teeth so tough. In the January-February 2020 issue of American Scientist magazine, you can see an image Gilbert made that reveals these structures. It's in the article titled, The Hardest Tissue, or find it online at americanscientist.org. You've been listening to a podcast from American Scientist magazine, published by Sigma Xi, the Scientific Research Honor Society. I'm Robert Frederick. Thank you for joining us.